Greetings, friends and neighbors, and welcome to Episode 5 of the Community Solutions Podcast, coming to you from the students, faculty, staff, and community partners of the Department of Social and Behavioral Sciences at the Indiana University Fairbanks School of Public Health in beautiful, warm, and sunny downtown Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm Jack Terman, Jr., the host of your podcast and a faculty member in the department. And first, I always like to give a shout out of thanks to all of our listeners. We appreciate your time and we appreciate you sharing this podcast with all of your friends. We're now being listened to in 15 states of the union, in Brazil, in Tanzania, in Canada, and Morocco. Hey, we are truly a global community. I recommend that you subscribe to us Follow us, rate us, and review us as this helps us spread the message of building healthy, hope-filled communities around our globe. Hey, have you ever thought about this? Does your neighborhood influence your health outcomes and life expectancy? Well, today you're going to hear our students, Jasmine and Emily, talk with Professor Tess Weathers from the department. Professor Weathers did a very important, intriguing study looking at how zip codes influences life expectancy. This important message just reinforces the need that we all need to work together to build neighborhoods that are conducive to our health and social well-being. So, have a blessed, joyful day, and let's join the conversation. Take care now. My name is Jasmine, um, and I am a student at the Fairbanks School of Public Health in the concentration of social and behavioral sciences. Um, and I have here with me. My name is Emily. I'm a, a doctorate student at the Indiana University uh, School of Social Work with a minor in social and behavioral health sciences. And we are here with Tess. Tess, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Emily. I am Tess Weathers, and I am uh, a research associate in the Department of Social and Behavioral Sciences at the Fairbanks School of Public Health. And I consider myself um, at least an aspiring social epidemiologist, which is to mean that I care a lot about looking at social conditions that create health or illness. Okay, cool. So today um, we are going to be talking about um, the worlds apart, gaps in life expectancy in the Indianapolis metro area, which Tess co-authored on. Um, And so we're going to have her answer some questions as it relates to that. So um, our first question is, um, what is life expectancy? Well, you've probably heard that term a million times. Uh, It's a number that gets uh, compared all around the world. Um, It's a little bit like taking the temperature of a society. So if you go in and you're sick at the doctor and they take your temperature, they can tell whether you're well or you're sick, but they may not know exactly what's going on with you. 
And life expectancy is a lot like that at the societal level. So we compare um, life expectancy in places all around the world because it tells us a lot about how well that society is doing in terms of creating conditions that allow the residents there to be healthy. Okay. And why were you interested in looking at life expectancy in the Indy metro area specifically? Well, uh, some years ago, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation uh, prepared and released a few maps similar to the one we ended up doing that just were very intriguing to me. Um, one that I'm remembering um, most is uh, one they did in um, Washington, D.C., measuring the difference in life expectancy uh, from the center of D.C. as you took different rides on their um, subway or uh, mass transit. Um, I don't know what you call it. Do you remember what it's called? The metro, I think? I think yeah. it's the metro. Yeah. Um, and I found it just intriguing. There's also some really interesting maps from New Orleans. And what you could see on those maps is that you could go a very short distance and see some really big differences in life expectancy. And it just made me wonder, you know, what would our city look like? Um, because I think we like to think of ourselves here in the heartland of America as maybe not being subject to a lot of those equity issues. And I just really was curious to find out. So now I'm curious, so what did you find out? Well, it's pretty shocking actually. Um, there is a 14 year difference in the length of life wow. on average uh, when you look at the, the most advantaged communities in the Indy Metro uh, versus the least advantaged. 14 years is really enormous when you're talking about life expectancy. Um, and so, you know, it was really pretty shocking. And we think that, uh, you know, our goal was to share that with people and sort of garner some discussion and attention to what are those conditions that kind of lie behind that. Um, that we might be able to do something about. So what did you find was um, the difference for someone living in one of the areas where the life expectancy might be um, greater than some of the areas where it's really short? Right. So I think the, the simplest way I like to describe it, and you can probably, from your own experience, kind of identify with this, is that even though we kind of think of ourselves as living in the same city, we're really not. Um, People's lives are just vastly different if you live in certain communities compared to others. Um, so, for example, uh, if you live in our uh, most um, advantaged communities up in the Carmel area, where life expectancy is as high as it is anywhere in the world, pretty much, mm. um, you will look around and see so many grocery stores, grocery stores in abundance, whole food stores, health food stores, you name it, many, many parks, lots of healthy places to get out and be active, super uh, school system. Um, so the students there are getting a great education, people there with good jobs, um, safe houses, pretty low crime rate. Um, and then if you go to one of these communities, uh, which is on the, the other side of the spectrum, where <clears throat> the 
life expectancy is is very low, you see exactly the opposite. You know, people shopping to get their groceries in a gas station. Um, public schools are their only option, and those are very under-resourced, un underfunded. Um, probably some difficulty getting transportation, um, you know, you name it. So basically their lives are, are really just vastly different. It's kind of like different societies entirely uh, coexisting uh, within the same sort of narrow geographic area. Wow. And so <clears throat> with that, um, there are like several areas of Indianapolis experiencing gentrification. Um, all over, especially um, in the lower, um, the areas that are experiencing that difference in life expectancy. Um, you're saying a lot of condos there. Like, how do you think this might impact the life expectancies over the next 15 years um, with the gentrification? I think that's a super interesting question because it's going to look on the surface like gentrification is a good thing. Um, because if you if, if an area is truly gentrified in in the way that we normally think of it being done um, basically what happens is you know it's great on the surface because you you fix all the vacant houses you pick up all the trash you get in new stores have a lot of development and uh, but what that does is draw in to the community people who can pay more for the housing and those longtime residents, uh, the ones who had the low life expectancy actually get forced out because they can't afford the rent anymore or they can't pay the property taxes on, on their home if they, um, they do own a home. And so actually those people who were living in the area with the when it had a low life expectancy get forced to another area, probably where the life expectancy is still low, but the new gentrified area, because it suddenly contains all new sets of people, mm -hmm. um, that life expectancy goes up. Um, so it looks on the surface like it would be a good thing. But obviously, there are a lot of people concerned about that. There are many efforts, like from a policy standpoint, that are being made to try to prevent those longtime residents from being forced out, like th uh, approaches like... Um, putting in place uh, specific uh, limits on property tax increases for people who've lived in an area for a certain number of years. Mm -hmm. So what are some suggestions you have to improve um, health equity in relation to life expectancy gaps? Well, um, my answer here is probably going to surprise you a little bit. Um, I think a lot of times when you work in the health sector and people ask you what to do about it, the answer they expect is let's spend some more money on healthcare access. And that is totally not my answer. Um, in fact, you know, as you know, the U.S. spends more on healthcare than any other country in the world. And yet we're not getting what we're paying for in terms of well being and life expectancy. And in fact, some people have suggested that basically the high price we're paying in healthcare is because we are not instead spending that money on social causes that drive low life expectancy. Things like education, um, housing, poverty, uh, you know, these sort of underlying uh, social determinants. And if we would take the money from the back end or the downstream and shift it upstream, 
then I think that that is the main way we would actually be able to move life expectancy for all these communities that really have been left behind. Um, I think I mentioned, or if I didn't mention, you know, our lowest uh, community here in Indianapolis has a life expectancy that's similar to Iran or Iraq and uh, Bangladesh or similar to where we were as a country on the whole like six decades ago. So there are these whole communities across our country that really have been left behind. When we talk about progress in America, it didn't really happen for everyone. Um, So uh, to me, you know, it, it may not sound like someone from the public health world, but the number one thing that I would do is improve early childhood education um, and, uh, you know, I think that over the long haul, that, that would probably be the best thing we could do. Okay. And so with those things, how can, um, the community members or community partners get involved with, um, the insight you just provided on, you know, trying to improve that life expectancy in the areas? Well, I think what I was indicating there and I, um, is is that the kind of action that I think we need to take to actually improve life expectancy, um, you know, really is approaching this from many different angles all across that that socio-ecological model that we talk about in, in public health. We have to cover everything from housing to education to working conditions, living wages, early child care, um, and you can see how broad that is. I mean, so not no one sector could possibly do this. It, it, you know, it really would take everyone kind of doing their part. Um, and so, I mean, there's, there's room at the table. And the only way actually that we're going to improve the situation is if we get broad-based support um, to attack this from many different angles. Okay. So we've talked about a lot of interesting points here today, um, and we do want to thank you, Tess, for coming to share this with us, um, and hopefully it can definitely impact not only Indianapolis, but also um, other communities that might listen to that, because as you mentioned, um, this is just, hap- we're just talking about Indianapolis, but mm-hmm. this is pretty wide stream. Yeah, yeah, it is, a, a you know, actually a, a fairly wide pattern that you see uh, in cities across the U.S. Uh, A couple of things to mention about life expectancy, though. Indianapolis sort of made a headline uh, in a New York Times article that came out. Of course, it it was backed up by a research study, um, but uh, uh, that showed that being poor, for example, has a much greater impact on your life expectancy if you live in certain cities than in others. Mm. And Indianapolis was at the top of the bad city list. Wow. And I'd ask you guys why you think that is. There's such a wide discrepancy between the poor and the rich in Indianapolis. And we live in separate areas, very much so. There's not very much intertwining of different socioeconomic groups in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I mean, certainly... That's a, a big a topic we didn't get to, which I would say racial residential segregation leads to concentrated poverty, and we are still dealing with that today, certainly in Indianapolis. And a part of that is, is the answer, uh, but we have very low social spending. 
and uh, the, what the authors concluded is that social spending, um, so programs that the government pays for to sort of help buffer people from things like unemployment and poverty, uh, uh, actually help to keep life expectancy higher in some cities than in others. So it's better to be poor in New York City than it is in Indianapolis. Um, yeah. Interesting. So clearly we have work to do. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like we all have some work to do. Um, so again, I do want to thank you so much, Tess um, and Emily, um, for being a part of this. And we hope that this will impact our nation. So thank you. Thank Thanks. you.